so interesting. It is a different world than the apostolic church because the apostolic church, people were hungry for truth. People were seeking for, uh, for, for they, there was, there was an intentional reliance on a spiritual being that was bigger than me. Whereas postmodernism truly has made myself God. And there is like the, in the apostolic age, people were looking for objective truth. Now, objective truth has been rejected as a, uh, well, whatever is true, whatever I say is true. And Mm -hmm. so who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? And, and so it is very interesting. The, the world we're in is unique and we need a move of God. Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite, and I'm joined here in studio with my good friends You're Aaron back, Richards. Man. He's and back. Brad Pierron. Excited. Yeah, I haven't been around the last few episodes, but uh, I am excited to be here today. So if you're joining us for the first time, we are a ministry, a community of missionaries seeking to bring revival to the Catholic Church. We have uh right now, we are in the midst of the Equip Conference. So mm-hmm. outside of this illustrious Damascus studio. Uh, We currently have 350 missionaries preparing to serve 7,000 middle schoolers and high schoolers this summer at three different camp locations, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Michigan. It's going to get wild this summer. Let's just give God a a, a song of praise. So right now we're at the Equip Conference. It's where we equip our 350 missionaries before they get deployed on mission. What is God doing right now the last few days at this conference? What are you guys sensing? What's the Lord speaking? What's the the uh, the enthusiasm on your heart? Yeah, I, I've been really impressed this year by by the class we've got. This is one of my favorite events of the year. It's not, it's more than an event. I think this is like a 11-day conference at this mm-hmm. point. So, uh, it, you know, we have, we have a lot of opportunities where students will come here on retreat, even summer camp. Kids come from all over to, to come to summer camp. But I think Equip is unique in that this is a, it's a huge group, 350 people who are here. All of them are, you know, by virtue of their application, they're hungry to learn. Mm-hmm. They're hungry for more. They're hungry for prayer and they're hungry to be formed. Mm-hmm. So rarely ever do you have like that type of just a, a desire uh, mm-hmm. all in one space. So kicking off the first night, I mean, Dan led our opening message and it was just, it was just the mm-hmm. energy was electric. Mm-hmm. So I love it. Yeah, me too. I I, I was going to say something similar. I think uh, the desire has been standing out to me too. I think there's a, there's just a passion in the young adults in the church that we get to uh, minister with and minister to where they're like, um, they're so convicted that they want to see all that the faith has to offer. You know, that they're like, yeah, I, I love that I have a personal prayer life. I love that, like, I'm able to minister to my family. But what all does the faith have for me? You know, like, what what does the faith have for me in my school, at my college campus? What does it have for me in my workplace? What does it have for me in this desire I have to pray with other people? Like, there's just this... um wide openness that these young adults come in with mm-hmm. to say, I desire just to know how vast and wide this awesome faith that we call ours is. And it's so fun to accompany them in that and to learn ourselves. So I think desire is, is something I'm seeing too. And um, yeah, passion 
That's for so sure. exciting. Yeah, the when um, I mean, the church calendar blessed us this year that we started our equipped conference <laughs> on Pentecost weekend, and uh-huh. so that's beautiful. Just the open heavens were were pouring out, mm-hmm. and I just I love like when you look to a lot of the different quote revivals in uh, in history, or even um, what was the big revival that was all over the news this year at that college? Asbury. Osbury. Right? I never yeah. know how to, Asbury. I, I also I say it like a Southern Ohioan, so I'm yeah. not sure if I'm even saying it right. <laughs> but you know, there was all these like uh, it was it was just like and I was thinking the other day as we were worshiping in our our, our community, they, it was just like this reckless like um, abandoned worship that was just like I don't ever want to leave this room and. There's something about the young adult uh, generation that they they're able to give the freedom of their time, right? Why why was it that that uh, Osbury um, University revival was able to happen was because they they just didn't leave, right? There was the freedom of their time that they were able to stay in worship and stay in in yeah. repentance and stay in worship. And um, whereas I think you know sometimes. We with our adult schedules, we may be like, oh shoot, well I gotta go put the kids to sleep, or oh dang, I gotta go uh, to work. And there's there's a um, of course blessing and and glory and grace in the order, but there's also something really unique about availability. Yep. And I think that's what you're seeing in the church right now amongst the young adults is they're just available. And I was struck as we were worshiping, like, oh my gosh, Lord, the more. The um, can you say oh my gosh to the, to the Lord? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Probably. God, God forbid, Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, but I, I was, I was, uh, I was like, wow. Like the more we enable the young church to be available to Him, the more we're going to see revival, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've got this freedom of time. And what do you see the the enemy doing to middle schoolers, high schoolers, young adults? He's actually trying to overcrowd their schedules right now yeah. and make them so busy. Like middle schoolers are busier than ever before <laughs> in human history. Why? Because the enemy wants to break their availability. To, to use some language that's familiar to the show, I think even one other thing that struck me this weekend is I think that our Gen Z and, you know, uh, this this community sometimes gets a bad rap for, for being self-absorbed or isolated or unwilling to go out and to serve. But, you know, we have we have 350 who are gathered here who their greatest desire is to pour their life out and to, and to give this incredible gift of mission. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so affirming to see that like, okay, Lord, you're, you're still making good on your promise here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're still sending laborers and uh, we just need to be ready. We need to be ready to receive and to, and to point them in the right direction. Mm, amen. Yeah, I do. I, I think the, um, the availability word is something that I, I hadn't thought of as well as you laid it out. Dan, but I, I do see that totally. I, it's funny because when you hear the, um, the, like the modern atheists, they'll always use that like term, like the God of the gaps that you guys just call God, whatever you can't explain, um, which is a, a poor argument against God. But <laughs> I do think like God does fill in gaps, but it's with time, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's actually when I allow space that I, I see not just what's right in front of me, yeah. but like everything. Yeah. And so it's actually in those gaps of time that, that we are able to experience God. That's why the church has forever said like, no, we, we need to be in church on Sunday. Like there's an obligation here because it's, it's an hour or two hours or however long the mass yeah. is of time where you need to give space where God can have all of your attention. And it's crazy to think that like we've um, settled on that being the only time we give him space. Yeah. And when you give him 10 days of space, we see amazing things happen. Well, and that was like, I was on Pentecost. I was praying into um, 
the the account where Jesus says, "Do not leave Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high." Right, mm-hmm. and um, and and they did that. They 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 stayed in the upper room in prayer. Not they didn't gather on Pentecost that evening expecting Pentecost. They actually gathered in the upper room after the ascension awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know if the promise of the Holy Spirit was going to come day one. And so they awaited day two, day three, day, and a week passes and they're still gathered waiting for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, until they were clothed. And then they knew once they were clothed, he just came, right? It was, and it's, Hmm. It says they were sitting in in scripture that that while while they were sitting in the upper room, and I think sometimes we think they probably were in this like massive prayer meeting, but um, mm-hmm. they they were just waiting on God and availability to wait on Him. To when are you going to come in the way that you've promised to come? And mm-hmm. sometimes we probably just don't give them enough time to come in power. Yeah, well, because we're in a, we're in too big of a hurry. I, I we see that all the time. That's that's why the liturgical seasons are so cool too. They, they remind us that we need to slow down, right? Like like Lent um, requires me to be diligent about the things I'm giving up because if I just move on to the next thing, I I do the thing I said I was going to give up, but I have to be intentional and actually think like, am I eating the thing I said I was going to give up, right? Like, yep. oh, wait, it's Friday. I'm not going to eat meat today. There, there's an intentionality built into that rhythm to remind us, slow down, do things intentionally. Like don't just move because yep. you're feeling the pressure to move move with intention. What, what was that? Um, could you imagine, that, wait, just, could you yeah, imagine no, if we did a conference where there was no programming that was just sure. like, just total availability. There were no talk schedules. Too it was soon. Just <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. That would be interesting. Well, I think there will, there's also a part of it though, that like, it, it's not, it's not aimless um, waiting. There, there's, there's yeah. aims in the waiting too, yeah, right? Like there probably were prayer fellowship. meetings in the upper room prior to the Holy Spirit. But like there's, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. to do in the time. But I, I was going towards that line that you shared, Aaron, in your um, teaching on the church and movements and, and forgive me mm-hmm. if I'm, I'm, Sorry. Well, it, but it's, it's a, uh, when we begin to do with yeah. intention, what we've done by intuition, then we achieve acceleration. That's right. Exactly. So if I, if I start bringing intentionality to that, which I just intuitively do, yeah. like I, I've found that in my own life with, um, with the creed at mass. And we've talked about that on this show before, but when I pray the creed at mass and I slow down to say, I'm actually stating that, which I'm claiming to believe. Yeah. I, I like have some of the best revelation I've ever had in my life because I, I'm doing the thing I would usually do intuitively, intentionally, and it does accelerate you. And that goes to your idea about availability because yep. we're literally being intentional about that, which we usually would just, um, I don't know, fill up and move on to the next thing. Yeah. I love that. So essentially I think in, in our modern context of the church, we call youth ministry, like what you do with kids. Right. And realistically in, in the church's understanding of youth ministry, and even, uh, it, it would be like, like, forming the young generation, middle schoolers, mm-hmm. high schoolers, young adults. Uh, we don't, in the American context, we don't really call young adult ministry, youth ministry. But if you ever go to World Youth Day, the, the majority of the the global church brings young adults to World Youth Day. What mm-hmm. does America do? We're like, oh, it's it's an event for high school. It's like our, our mindset of, uh, of youth ministry is usually high school or middle school uh, you know, I'd say when the church speaks to the youth, they're often thinking middle school, high school, young adults, and even more specifically, 
that older de- demographic of high schoolers and mm-hmm. and young adults. And right now, what we're seeing in history uh, in America, we've talked about this on the show before, that this Generation Z that you you mentioned, Aaron, Gen Z is the first post Christian generation in America. The first yeah. mm-hmm. the first generation that we're seeing in America, where there are na- there are now more. Uh, people who identify with not being Christian than with being Christian. So the the country that was founded as a Christian country is is no longer, uh, at least, you know, it's no longer the majority of Christians. And yeah. so in this time, our goal here at, at Damascus is to, to reclaim this lost generation for Jesus Christ. So we mm-hmm. want to see a generation one for Jesus again, a generation on their knees, worshiping the living God again. And, and when we say we want to, to win a generation for Jesus, it's not, it's not just the, the middle schoolers. We want, we want to see the young adult generation. We want to see mm-hmm. the high school generation. And we want to see that next generation, which is still being named, if you will, that um, uh, those middle schoolers uh, to be mm-hmm. one for Jesus. Yeah, isn't that why encounter is so important? Because there's a, there's, there is something unique about the generation we're living in. It's, it's not just like the early church in the sense that um, the world needs evangelized just as much as it ever has since then. Yep. But it's because we're actually living now, not like the early church where they had a lot of heathens that had never heard the gospel. We're now living in a world that has rejected the gospel. That's, that's, a, different, mm-hmm. that, that's a different playing field. And so that requires encounter, right? Like that, that's where everything we talk about comes in. Like if you're going to reject something, how would you normally refute someone rejecting something? You would demonstrate, you would show them that they're in fact not correct. And God who loves them wants to do that. That's what encounter. And many does. of them, maybe they haven't outright rejected it, but they're even just immune to it. It's like the, sure. the seculars, secularism is like a vaccine that has made yeah so many people numb to the gospel where, oh yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. Oh, I know about Jesus. I've heard his yeah, name. Yeah, maybe rejection's too strong. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's indifference. Well, no, it's both and. There yeah, are sure, people who have sure. made the rejection and then there's also the the indifference. And and both of those, as you you point out, Brad, so so interesting. It is a different world than the apostolic church because the apostolic church, people were hungry for truth. People were seeking for uh for for they there was yeah. there was an intentional reliance on a spiritual being that was bigger than me, whereas right. postmodernism truly has made myself God. Yeah. And there is like the, in the apostolic age, people were looking for objective truth. Now objective truth has been rejected as a, uh, well, whatever is true, whatever I say yeah. is true. And mm-hmm. so who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? And, and so it is very interesting. The, the world we're in is unique and we need a move of God. Amen. <laughs> so this show is going to be really fun. One of the reasons it's going to be fun is we're going to talk about why is youth ministry so stinking important in order to win a, a generation for Jesus Christ? Why should our effort, why is our effort at Damascus when we want to win a generation or when we like, are we doing youth ministry just because it's, it's the popular thing to do? Um, or are we doing youth ministry because we think it's where revival will come from? And then oh, we're going to also kind of give a paradigm for like, um, what was Pentecost like and, and who was at Pentecost, which will be fun. Spoiler alert. It's going to get good. Okay. Actually, that wasn't a spoiler. That was a teaser. I'm yeah. not telling you. So let's start with that question. Like, why should we do youth ministry? And why do we as a community here, at least yeah. believe that revival is going to come from the youth? Well, another observation just quickly is, is 
youth ministry has taken a dive since COVID. I mean, like right now, the the youth ministry landscape across the United States is is pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's ugly. Yeah, uh, and and I don't I don't think that we came we didn't necessarily come from a from a very strong place before, but this is one area where because we've depended really on um, young missionaries to drive this forward for so long that uh, really cutting it off at the knees for for two to three years mm-hmm. has almost eliminated an entire population of leadership. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've, yeah, we've got, we've got some work to do to reclaim it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, on like a, just a natural level, when are you most open to learning new things? <laughs> yeah. When you don't know anything, right? Yeah. Like in, when you're growing up, when you're young, there's, there's a reality that you haven't had your mind set on anything. And, and if the world is going to be presenting those young people with things that they might be able to believe, then we as Christians should be telling these young people what they might be able to believe too. Like it's, it's your most form, like formable time. And I, I think that so often we can um, do the exact opposite mm-hmm. in, in the church. We can be like, well, we're going to play the long game yeah. and, and we'll get them before they die. It's like, well, like ask any sports team what happens if you get blown out in the first quarter. It is a long road to hoe if you're going to try to get all the way back by the end of the game. Like, yeah. and, and people will always say it's how you finish. Well, I, I've like constantly been looking at this. It was actually funny. I took an economics of sports class in college. They would say it's how you economics of sports. Economics of sports. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but like, I don't want to get into all of it, but um, like numbers would suggest it's how you start and how you finish. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's how you start and how you finish that yep. you, you can't get so far behind that you can't catch up or else you're out of it yeah. the rest of the game. And if, if you, if you don't, if you don't finish there, then all of the things you did before are for not. Right. And so I, I think that we have to, we have to begin seeing that, that like the way we live those middle years are very much determined by how we're formed now. Well, and I, I think, you know, working with young people sometimes is hard working with young people sometimes results in rejection working with young people sometimes means it's not as fruitful as i wanted it to be and so i think the church has often just um because they don't know what the right solution is they look to something else right like oh i can't figure out how to win this crowd over let me focus over here and that that's across the board like middle school high school young adults like the 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 need to reach this young demographic is yeah. massive and I like, you know, when I'm trying to make a point, I always uh, like to reference Hitler. Um, <laughs> That's not not great, but we'll see where it goes no, from here. But I mean, Hitler's... That is the Hitler's, first time that's ever been said on the show. <laughs> Definitely. Probably the last time too. Well, Hitler's methodology was... Oh my gosh. Uh, to, win, to win the youth, right? That, no, that right. I get so it. much of the effort of Nazism was on, <laughs> around what they would call yeah. Hitler youth. And it, they knew that if they won the youth, yeah. They would win the nation, right? Mm-hmm. And um, why? Because those the the youth become the mindset of the future. And mm-hmm. and what do we see liberalism attacking, or where do we see the their demographic right now? They they want to the the mindset of the if you will the far left doesn't they're not going after the the old ladies, right? Where are they going? They're going after the schools to the extent where mm-hmm. right now in the news, what you're seeing all over the place is kindergartners, right? That they're the, the movement knows that if we win the kindergartners, if we win the middle schoolers, if we win the high schoolers, that we're going to, where, where has the liberal agenda initially attacked college campuses, right? That that it, it was the minds. Why? Because as you said, Brad, 
they're they're asking questions and they're docile to formation. And so they haven't come up with conclusions yeah. yet. Well, you have to have a worldview. Like you're not you're not going to get out of your youth and young adult stage without a worldview. And so we we have to present them with what are plausible worldviews. And if the Christian worldview isn't presented in a persuasive way and in a way that's believable and followable, then we're going to lose. Yeah. And so like, I just, it's, it's critical because everyone knows it's critical. Like when does Nike want people to start wearing Nike in their thirties and their forties? No, because they're not going to start wearing Nike in their 30s and 40s. No. But if they start wearing Nike when they're 10, they're going to wear Nike basketball shoes for the rest of their life because that's what they've always worn. Like consumerism knows this, yep. right? Like, yep. like politics knows this. So the church should know this, right? I'm laughing because I was looking at shoes the other day and I thought to myself, like, maybe I should get a pair of Nikes. I was like, no, I've never worn Nikes. Why would I get Nikes? No, no, it's, <laughs> that thought process it's real. No, it's head. real. It's real. But I, I think like if... um. I think that this has been a really fascinating part of like my work here with you guys is like, we always talk about an entrepreneur spirit in the church. Yeah. Like we actually can look at like, okay, marketers, they're looking to make money. And so they're finding the best ways to make money. We're trying to win souls and we can look at the marketers and they're saying the best way to make money is to keep these young people buying our products their whole life. We can know that the best way to win souls is to keep these young people attached to the Lord for the rest of their life. Yep. Like it's not, it's not a hard move. It's no. just us waking up and, and being willing to do the hard work it takes to actually do that. Right. Mm -hmm. The hard work it takes for Nike is they're going to pump billions of dollars in revenue into it. The hard work it takes for us is it's going to be billions of hours of work from tons of missionaries investing in all of the young people over the next Yeah however long we live, mm -hmm. right? And this isn't a new concept. So what I think will be fun to talk about is how uh, even in our ancient, like uh, Old Testament roots or uh, Judeo-Christian uh, roots, the, the, the Jewish people, the people of God understood the importance of youth ministry, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, we're, when we look to the discipleship methodology, it was a methodology of youth ministry. I just want to read from kind of they're the 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 battle cry of the mm -hmm. Jewish people was the Shema prayer. And it says this here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. They must have been exaggerated. Yeah. <laughs> and they did that, no. right? It was. <laughs> and they drilled it. It says, impress them upon your children. And so that's what they built family life, yeah. prayer life, their feast days. I, it's, it's fascinating to learn about how the children are a critical component in an intentional way of Jewish feast days. Yeah, because, the liturgy. Yeah, they want to raise them up in the faith to have ownership. And then this gets into this discipleship method that we always talk about as Catholics now, like we need to be doing discipleship, we need to be doing discipleship. Well, the first century Judaism was doing discipleship mm -hmm. and their discipleship methodology was to minister to basically like five-year-olds through 30-year-olds. It, yeah. it was an effective pro progression of youth and young adult ministry. Mm -hmm. Do you want to mm -hmm. kind of share, Brad, like what yeah. was the 
what was the system of education they had yeah. for discipleship yeah, in this first is, century Judaism? Well, it's actually really fascinating because everything you're saying there is is right. They they would know. Well, that, thank you. Uh, can that, can well, we make would, a T-shirt that, that Brad, Brad actually said, said that everything Dan is saying no, there well, is right. Well, in yeah. that particular instance, <laughs> no, but uh, no, 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 just, hey, uh, Jack, can you make a short and just put that out on TikTok <laughs> over and over again, and then everybody will then know. <laughs> but no, um, well, because like. Again, they understood that when you have the way, the truth, and the life, that's something worth passing on, Yeah. right? And disciple comes from the word meaning learner. And so the way they built their education system was actually teaching them the way of life that would most benefit them. They weren't just teaching them all of the subjects. They were teaching them the primary subject, which was the faith that they were passing on. And so um, there were three levels of education in the Jewish education system. Get ready, You, you had um, Bet Sefer, which just means house of the book. You had Bet Talmud, which means house of learning. And then you had Bet Midrash, which means house of study. And ultimately, the way that it would work is every five to 10-year-old boy would enter Bet Sefer or house of the book, and they would begin learning the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible, and they would begin just memorizing it, right? That, that's what they would do from the age of five or six until the age of 10. Once they got um, of age, um, which was around the age of 10, they would then be um, tested in some way on how well they understood the first five books of the Bible hmm. and the ones that understood it the best would then move on. Okay. And there's a reason that I'm sharing that part because the, let's say it was the 90% that didn't test high enough. They would go home and learn their father's trade. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the top 10%, let's say would move on to the next level. So they would move from Bet Sefer, which means house of the book to Bet Talmud, which means house of learning. And in house of learning, they would stay in there from roughly the age of like 10 to the age of 14. And that's when they would begin taking on the entire old Testament. So they would begin like reading the major prophets, the minor prophets. They, they would begin really, really trying to dive into the Old Testament, understanding it, memorizing it. And from the age of 10 to 14, as they did that, the same type of progression would happen when they would come of age, which was around the age of 14, they would test them again. And again, let's say that the bottom 90% or so would go home and learn their father's trade. That was the amount of education they would have. The top 10%, let's say, would then move on to the third level of education, which was Bet Midrash. This was house of learning. And this was roughly the ages of like 14 to 16-ish. And that is when you would be mm. like like ironing out that you were, you were like maximizing what you could understand about the Old Testament. You didn't just have the whole Old Testament memorized at this point. You understood the implications, where it could be drawn from one prophet to the next, like all of these things. And then what would happen is the top portion of that um, cohort would go and find- It's a pretty small a, cohort at this oh, point. Oh yeah, right. Would go and find a rabbi, which just means teacher. And, and the rabbis would be masters of the faith. And what they would go to the rabbi and say is like, like, can I follow you? May I follow you? And that's when the rabbi would respond with mm. all of these questions, making sure that this particular disciple would be worthy of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And it was only if they, they checked all of the boxes that, that the, the rabbi would look at the disciple and say, come follow me. Now, again, I, I'll leave it there because I know you guys can add more context to the kind of latter half of that and what happens after. But what's really important here is like, like, look, Look at who Jesus goes and calls. 
He goes and calls fishermen who are fishing with their dads. Yep. Those are men that didn't make the cut. They went home and learned their father's trade. But not only that, look at Jesus, who's called rabbi, who made his way through all of these and yet still went home and learned his father's trade. Mm -hmm. there, there's a story of meekness in it. There's a story of humility in it. And, mm. and it matters and it gives us context because it shows us that Jesus also knows, as we should as church, that it matters what you do in your youth. It matters what you do with the young. It matters what you do with those who make the cut and don't make the cut. Yep. We have to get this into the young generation. So that that would be like, I guess, the five minute. Well, and the, and the reason that was so, that was good. Let's give Brad a round. Yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. I, I love when I, no I, can't, no I can't memorize all those words and stuff, but I love the, the, um, the progression there and the intentionality. And then what happens is once you start following the rabbi, right? You, uh, a teenager, whether they're 14, 15, 16, they follow that rabbi until mm -hmm. about age 30 mm -hmm. in, in first century Judaism. And then they would become a rabbi themselves. But they're in a school of learning from this young age all the way up till 30. It's like, no one ever really questions like, well, why did Jesus start his public ministry at age 30? Well, because that was the standard age yeah. of the time for a rabbi to step into his, like That's his right. teaching call right. at that. And because the age of learning had ended. And so when we think about, if you will, Jesus's ministry, mm -hmm. Jesus's ministry was youth and young adult ministry. They say that John, the youngest disciple was probably 13, 14 years wow. old. Yeah. And Peter, the oldest disciple, was probably 25 or 26. So his 12 apostles were between the ages of 13, 14 to 26, right? Mm -hmm. That they're, uh, I'm sorry, probably around, he, he, Peter was probably around 23 or 24. And um, so you have this young adult, what we would classify as like, middle school through college yeah. and they were learning together, right? Mm -hmm. Or late middle school through college and they're learning together the way of yeah. Jesus. And I think there's something neat about that because what, like the rabbi wouldn't just have the older kids, like the, the, the 19, 20, 21 year olds. Why? Because he wants to make sure those, the, he, he wants a long period of learning for these people and he wants to make sure the older generation of youth are ministering, mentoring, mm. modeling uh, to that younger generation. But there's this, and that they would grow into that, right? That's right. Why? Because by the time you leave Torah school, mm -hmm. it's less, the rabbi is less about the education, the intellectual formation. You've already learned the, the law, if you will. You've already learned the Torah. Now you're learning the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And the rabbi is, is is imparting on the youth the lifestyle uh, 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 that he carries. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is meant to teach a lifestyle, not just teachings to his disciples. And the disciples are meant to learn a lifestyle and then replicate that lifestyle. And that's the beauty. Discipleship is about lifestyle and replication of lifestyle. And that's exactly what we see the early church do. And you see Jesus teaching a lifestyle, mm -hmm. not just an intellectual deposit of faith. And what I think what we see, what we identified that we're seeing here at Damascus too, is just that like, it's through mission that encounter comes alive. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of different perspectives right now on how I can be most effectively uh, leveraged and utilized and, and built up as a, as a Christian who's going to come and serve the world. But like, ultimately the, there's, there's all kinds of um, hot topic words, you know, that I need to go through a time of formation or a time of like uh, building identity, right? But all of that, what we would suggest here is it has to happen in mission. And 
we're not just in this game in mission now because it's convenient, yeah. but because it's it's always been critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, and it also, if you're not on mission to youth, you also can't learn from them. Like when, when we find Jesus teaching in the temple, he would have been in that second stage of learning. So he would have been in, in Bet Talmud. And that's why when he's teaching all of these rabbis in, in the temple, mm. they're like, oh my goodness, how can one this young bring such wisdom? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is showing us something there. He later in the, in the Sermon on the Mount says, let the children come to me and learn from them. Like we, we don't only miss out on teaching them what they need. We also miss out on allowing them to teach us what we need. Yep, yep. And that, that serves both of us. Well, it disserves both of us is what yep. I'm trying to say. And I think there's, there's such an importance in understanding that when we step into um, that type of ministry, <laughs> it's not all give. It's give and receive. The Lord reveals things to us as we're ministering and bestowing the faith. Just think about some of the questions you guys have gotten at times from young people. And you're like, I don't know if I know the answer to that. It leads you to go then search out the answer and then yep. give them the answer. Well, what does that do? It makes me a better disciple. Mm-hmm. It well, makes me better. And and I think that's, this is the lack, this is uh, the, yeah, the, what, what lacks in our conversation on discipleship methodology, right? In the church is that we often, we don't look at the what was first century Judaism doing. And I think there's an effective model here where we're raising up, we're pouring into the young young adult church to do youth ministry. And I think we're going to see a lot of revival in our church when we have young adults focused on ministering to the middle school and the high schoolers. This exactly. is this is the, as as the older generation here, we 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 are teaching a way of life to the young younger the the young adult generation mm-hmm. who are then modeling that way of life to middle schoolers and high schoolers exactly. so they can catch it. Why? Because most young people aren't leaving the Catholic church because they disagree with the teachings. It's because they don't know what the lifestyle of a Christian looks like. Yeah. And Jesus is like, I'm the rabbi. I'm going to show you the narrow path. And then the disciples are like, oh, I'm going to walk the narrow path and I'm going to model to the younger generation the, the narrow path. We we need this progression of how do we bring in the 13, 14, 15-year-olds who are they're coming into age of of maturity of what it means to live as a human being in this world and and have that modeled by those who have been modeled the way of life, the lifestyle. Do you know what the, the studies show? I wonder what you think about this. Um, but the studies show that young people that leave the faith, they leave the faith for two reasons, usually combined. One is they haven't been given satisfactory answers to their questions. And the other is because those who do give them answers to their questions don't seem to be passionate and invigorated about the answers that they're giving. So like, so re- legitimately like the solution to the, the, the huge exodus from the church is literally being able to recognize that there are <laughs> answers to give and solutions to give and bringing those answers and solutions in a way that's convicted and believes yeah. it. That's discipleship. That's yeah. literally what we should be doing. And, and when you see bishops, they're hitting it on the head. I think so many bishops in our country deserve great credit because they're, they're getting it right. They're like, we need mission and purpose for our young adults, and we need encounter for our youth. Mm-hmm. Well, let's bring mission and purpose to young adults by having them bring encounter to youth. Like mm. they're, hitting, they're getting to it. It's just we have to put it in. So applications are available here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> I do think that we've we the Holy Spirit has allowed us to find that. I, I think it's true. Well, and I, I, I and I, it's not just about advertising our program. Um, it, it, it's about that wasn't our intention. Yeah, <laughs> no, sure. It, it's about displaying a model that is um, 
that it, it's about helping us see the importance of, of youth ministry, but also seeing the importance of um, the the power that the young church has. Which and is I why think, we have our model. Yes. Like it's, we're not selling a model because we just, what we're talking about right now, we believe to be true. Yeah. So we build a model around what we thought to be true, right? Like we're, we're trying to, we're trying to teach that like yeah. what we're doing. We can expect more from them, right? Because the, the yeah. 13 year olds were the ones yes. who are stepping into discipleship formation with a rabbi. The, the, the 19, 20 year olds are the ones who are mentoring and showing and that mm-hmm. lifestyle that they've been walking in for seven years. And, mm-hmm. and so Jesus, he comes on the scene and he's got three years with his um, disciples. And, you know, we're, we, as a church just celebrated Pentecost this past weekend. And it's just, it's so funny um, because we've got a big picture of Pentecost in, in our, um, in our lodge here at Damascus. And I was, it was a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was walking past the picture and I love, it's one of my favorite paintings um, because it's Mary at, at Pentecost. So it's Mary, the mother of God with all of the apostles a, a, around her and, and the Holy Spirit's coming down. And I've always just loved this image. I am, um, but it all of a sudden I realized, wait a second, Mary is young. Mary looks younger in this image than the apostles look. And the image has the apostles with gray hair and gray beards. They look like 55, 60 year olds at the end of their days. Like, and it's like, but that wasn't, well, and Mary looks like a 20 year. I'm like, what is Mary? Like like (laughs) Pentecost would have been if they, if they were called at age 14 through 23, Pentecost would have been 17 through 26 year olds. That's The uh, (laughs) disciples of Jesus were high schoolers and college age students. And our lady was there as the wisdom. She was the, she was the older one in the mid forties or whatever that math checks out to me. And so, um, I think so often the reason we don't actually impart the power of the Holy Spirit on the young church in a way that they have access to is because we don't even believe that they have the ability to yeah. to be the world changers and the let's, game changers. Uh, let's recommission that painting. I, I actually was really thinking Interesting. about that. Jack, can you get some AI image generation <laughs> stuff for how us? How do we change? <laughs> like what what di- like how often do we see the apostles pictured and they're always pictured as these old guys? It's like well, it's not, this. So historically inaccurate. Well, think of uh, think of too the at the foot of the cross when when Jesus gave Mary to John. That that changes that perspective too. I always think of John as like a kind old you know yeah. older gentleman who's going to take, yeah. take care of the blessed lady. Yeah, he's but, no, he sixteen. Would, yeah, yeah. He seventeen. A, a yeah. kid. <laughs> yeah, coming into the home of his mother. That's right. That's right. Well, I also I wonder if this also has to do with the fact that we have um, maybe overstated rationality in the church today that like we believe that the young people don't have access to it because they don't have the rational yeah. faculty that us three at this table do, mm-hmm. because I, th- that seems to be why we're depicting all of these apostles older than they were at the time. Because what we're saying is they finally wrap their minds around it. Yeah. But I don't know if God is as interested in us wrapping our minds around it as he is us wrapping our hearts around it. Uh, what if, what if Jesus called them because they had flunked out of Torah school? Sure. And in order to actually uh-uh. receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to subject our minds to the power of God as opposed to the intellectual right. reason. Well, Aaron, you have a teaching on this on um on the parables. Um, you you um remind me. No, well, yeah, no, no, well, like you teach it with like <laughs> everything the, you with said the, there. Aaron was right. Well, with, <laughs> <laughs> well, like you know, you teach it with like the Easter egg hunt, right? Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, that, that, that the Lord doesn't, uh, you know, he, he, he honors our, our childlike faith or our childlike faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that he's not hiding himself in order to try to trick us, right? He's not hiding yeah. from us. He's hiding for us because he likes yeah. to be in relationship. Yeah. Mystery is for us. It's, it's a part of, it's a part of the invitation. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, that, and I love that because like, yeah, the father that hides Easter eggs for his children, he's not hiding them to like, uh, like torment them. Like he's hiding them because the, the great joy they get when yeah. they discover them like that, that's what Jesus was doing in the parables and the people that were overthinking it were missing it. And, and it was the people that hmm. simply listened to what was being said that were accessing it. I do think there's something to that, that the Lord is, it, yes, faith is on the far side of reason, but I think far too often we lean way too heavy on our reason. Yeah. I love that. So I it's a, that. I mean, it's a, it's a shift that's happened through generations, right? So mm-hmm. but we're, what we're seeing is that, um, yeah, it's, it's bred into our culture. Like this is the lens that we're raised in that, uh, that the naive foundations of, of young people, like that, that we need, they need to be formed out of them instead of being trusted. Yeah. Hmm. And, uh, it, it represents a, a paradigm shift when it comes to ministry. I believe that, you know, each of us has had various experience with youth ministry in the church and, it's always the very last thing on anybody's agenda. Um, it's always the very least thing that we think about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the reasons why youth ministry has traditionally, in a parish setting at least, been um, one of the least reliable uh, aspects of, of a parish's ministry is because it's, you know, it's the least funded and the, the least qualified individuals are the ones who are being pulled into the positions. Yeah. Right? So, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't like to, you know, prophesy future direction, but yeah, if, if there's a, if there's a chance for the future of Catholicism, it seems like we've got to be serious about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we, we can't, we can't hope to wait until college to recruit people to, to recruit college students. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a losing game. Yeah. We'll even think about it in the context of, of the rabbi, right? Let's say that the rabbi took on an amazing young disciple at the age of 16 and his average time with each disciple was a year and a half, and then he moved on instead of 16 to 30. Yeah. Do you think the disciple would be the disciple that he could be? And then the average turnover of youth ministers in the church today is a year and a half. Yeah. That, was, that, so was, like, that was 10 years ago. Like, I bet it's like six yeah. months now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, an old, it's old statistics that I'm yeah. even quoting there, but, but you get the point that like, no, we're, we're, we are missing something. We are seeing it as non- uh, I don't know if it's not necessary, but we are seeing it as, as less than ideal or something that you should scale from, not scale to. Well, it's interesting too, because in the rabbi model, it's after you, you do the intellectual formation and, and the, if you will, the schoolwork formation up until about age 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And then you move into lifestyle formation because mm-hmm. the, the mind needs to be shaped and, uh, and formed at a young age through the, like, uh, I'm going to make sure that I have the, the, the correct mindset here. Right. Mm-hmm. The, but once you're in those, those, the teenage years, you need to be taught the lifestyle. And we, if our model is let's just send them to Catholic schools all, all the way through the end of college and the Catholic education is going to do it, but we're not showing the lifestyle of Christianity to them. And we never pull them out of the academic work to be infused in lifestyle Christianity, then 
they're not gonna they're not gonna receive it. I yeah. love my favorite blessing that the the mm. disciple would receive is after they heard the words "Come follow me," they would go home and tell their parents, "Oh my gosh, the Rabbi Jesus or Rabbi whomever invited me to follow him." The blessing that they would say is. Let his dust be upon you. Let the the rabbi's dust be upon mm-hmm. you, which meant you would follow him so closely that his lifestyle would cover you. Yeah. And I, you know, is is that is that our mindset when we're ministering to people that that hey, I want the what's on me. I want my lifestyle is I want it to impart it on you, and I'm going to actually teach you how to live Christianity, how to live Catholicism by the lifestyle I'm living. What? Why does? The that feels presumptuous, Paul. doesn't it? Dan? Well, this is exactly why Paul says, "Imitate <laughs> yeah. me as I imitate Christ." I that was discipleship. It he, was Christ. Paul's job as a disciple of Jesus is to imitate Jesus. Now, his job as a disciple of Jesus is to have other disciples imitate him. Yeah, it's Jesus's lifestyle, this rabbi's lifestyle, being passed on through the disciples. And so, to say, "Imitate me as I imitate Jesus," it, it sounds um, prideful in our modern context. In ancient Judaism, it was like, yeah, duh. If you're a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to imitate you as you imitate Jesus. Yeah, right. Well, it's also, um, again, just to go to the reason that we're putting the things in here at Damascus that we put in, it, that, that's the reason that we do our Eucharistic procession on Wednesdays the way we do it. We, we take our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and in the monstrance, and we follow him. And we stop at stations where saints give monologues, where, where our missionaries dressed as saints, give monologues. They then pick up their light, their torch, and they follow behind the Eucharistic Lord ahead of the crowd, and we follow them following Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's because that's what we do. That's and why the church the campsite, rocked. dust literally gets on us. Hey, there you go. Hey. That's why we added dust to the site. <laughs> no, but seriously, I do think that there's something to say. Like the, These aren't just like ancient ways of operating that we that we need to um, just contextualize and understand, but things that we we can actually implement very very practically. And I don't yeah. just mean the Eucharistic procession, but like whenever you're walking with someone, are are you are you encountering Jesus often enough to know that you're living His lifestyle? And then are you walking with them intentionally enough to be able to tell them, "Hey, you can imitate me as I imitate Christ." Mm-hmm. There's holiness and mission, right? Yeah. The church is always mm-hmm. setting us up for success. It's just that we have to recognize that encounter and mission are critical, which again mm. is what we talk about all the time. I, I mean, I wonder, I wonder how things shift, right? How, how do we how do we lose this? Um, where did we lose this? You know, maybe is this is this the a function of modern education or or what's the deal? But I, it's hard for me to even think about speaking that phrase because even as I, you know, a professional minister of the gospel, right? Um, would would think to say like imitate me as I imitate Christ. I immediately go to this place of thinking, well, I'm imperfect. That would be presumptuous. Like I don't I don't want to I don't want to call somebody into a lifestyle that's going to promote scandal. But never before in history has there ever been a perfect person. So mm-hmm. like, um, I, I wonder when I wonder when that became a limiting factor. Yeah, I I, I mean we have such a model of it in the church. So it's the. Um, it's St. Francis, St. Dominic, St. Ignatius. Like what we mm-hmm. do is we take, so Francis imitated Christ in a unique way. Yep. And then he took that imitation and it became the Franciscan charism. Yep. Ignatius imitated Christ in a unique way. Mm-hmm. And he took that and it became the uh, the Jesuit charism. And I think what 
what so we we they're see, called the society of jesus yeah. right like that's literally what they're trying to do is well, say and that's the it is imitate me as i imitate christ the beauty of our our charisms in the church is that there is a variety of ways to imitate Christ, right? That Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity imitate Christ in a way that's different than the Dominicans. And yet they're both authentic imitations of the living God. And so I think that's one way to pass it on is to yeah. say, what is the charism that God has put on me and how do I, I pass that on to another? And But I think the key and you know is that you've come under someone else as yeah. well. Like there's, uh, so there. Mm -hmm. discipleship requires that I have been in a school of formation at some point that I actually have received something that I can give away. And you, that's so beautiful in our religious orders again, or in our missionary movements that Mm -hmm. there's a school of formation, a postulancy, a novice or whatever it is, novitiate that, that there's a formation in a particular way of life. And then once I've been formed in that way of life, hypothetically, I could pass that way of life to others. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, when the, the fact that the Lord chooses imperfect people to pass on a, a perfect way of life is the mystery of that's the trouble. Pentecost. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, Andy, well, and Paul wasn't presuming um, just through his own um, lens either, right? Yeah. Like he he had Barnabas, he had uh, Aquila, like like he had people that were mile markers down from him that were telling him a very similar thing, right? Like um, it's funny whenever we're doing our full-time missionary training, I give a talk where I tell the missionaries that we all need a Barnabas and a Timothy, like in, in our lives mm. of Christian, yep. um, uh, in our lives of Christianity, rather, um, we need to be living in that way. I, I need to be constantly seeking someone who's a Barnabas to me in, in different facets of life. I have different Barnabases, if you will, in different facets of my life, but they're a mile marker down and they're, and they're telling me different bends in the road, you know? And then I'm able to then help the person a mile marker behind me navigate that road as they're helping me. And if we don't have one of those two things, I think that's where it becomes presumptuous. But I, I think that to, to this point, it's also not enough for me to simply get in my own kind of world going, yeah. I want to um, absorb as much as I that's can good. so that's I can good. make it down the path. I want to help everyone behind me make it down the path. That then gets us into youth and, ministry. And we even observe that in the world today. I mean, there's there's been a, a, a modern... Um, reality of like of young parents or young young adults who don't desire to be parents, who mm-hmm. you know, or or desire to you know have a single child. Or um, I think mm-hmm. I think that what you're seeing is is maybe that there's this collapse of the idea of understanding that my I'm going to step into maturity through being formed, and my call to mission is to form. Yes, that that there there's. To, to live as a Christian in the world today, I'm, I'm watching my words, but to live as a Christian in the world today, like I, I, can't, I can't live for myself. I, there, there's no path in which I can, I can form a great career and accomplish this thing and do it well. Uh, because, because, you know, I'll, I don't want to make the exception the rule, but the, the, the norm is that I would be called to live in a life that I raise up disciples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I was, uh, and I can't remember what the source is, but John Paul II was speaking to lay ecclesial movements at one point. Yeah. And um, as he was speaking to these movements, he talked about the the new evangelization leading to um, uh, mature Christianity mm-hmm. and the importance of formation, and and that the the movements often had a particular charism that they 
formed their people in, and then they were able to pass that formation on to others. And he was suggesting there's so much power in the formation programs of the neocatechumenal way, of the Beatitude movement, like of the Focolari movement, of the Damascus movement, these formation programs that a young person comes under to be formed in a way of life. And then that formation is able to be passed on. And that's why these movements, these late ecclesial movements are growing so fast, especially in some parts of Europe and, uh, and the uh, in Asia, because there's there's formation in a way of life that's then taught and then taught to the to the next generation yeah. or uh, or it appears. But what you see in parishes is there's not always a formation of a particular way of life, and there's not necessarily people coming under formation, right? That there is sacrament to, like I'm 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 coming to this parish to receive my sacraments, or I'm I'm uh, I'm available for the sacraments, or there's these parish programs. But a, a new paradigm of parish ministry should be, what is our formation program as a parish? What's the way of life that God has given us? And how do I impart this way of life onto all of our parish families? So that there's really a process mm-hmm. of discipleship formation and Christian maturity. I agree with that. I also wonder, though, if we put too much uh, impetus on the parish. Because I think like if we look to the days of old, like that impetus was put on the family. Yeah, A family had a charism. And they, and they carried it. And like, and I, we don't want to go back to like the caste system. Like, so that's not what I'm saying, but there was like, but families had a specific charism, a specific way of interacting with the world that they would pass on. There was an honor in the last name that you carried on. And that's, and that, that's why we mm. have surnames. Like they, they carry on, they carry something. They carry a power, a generational reality, right? Like that, that's what movements are supposed to be doing is, is, carrying an aspect of the dust of Jesus that would be a shame to have fall mm. to the ground and not have someone pick up. Like, I think that there's a, there's a real reality that I think a, a huge reason that youth ministry isn't something that we're um, like uh, privy to seeing is because if we begin seeing the necessity of um, youth ministry, we're going to have to start checking our own hearts in the family unit because that's primarily where youth are ministered to. And like youth ministry things at the parish, they're great as supplements, right? Because you do need someone. We have a missionary program here of young adults. Of course, we believe you need someone outside of just your family to witness this to because it gives legitimacy to what yep. your family's saying. Yep. But we have to get back to like, no, those those children of yours, it, you're, you're not supposed to give them complete aimlessness and call it autonomy. You're supposed to give them that which you found to be the way, the truth, and the life so that they can pass on the way and truth in life to whoever comes after them. So I, I don't know. I, I don't mean to say that in a way that that refutes the, the responsibility of the parish to really step yeah. into youth ministry more. But I also think that in the conversation, we have to talk family too. Amen. I agree. All right. We're going to wrap up. Let's do final thoughts. So in light of this conversation, yeah. Aaron, what is your final thought? Um, what is my final thought? I, I, I I look back to, I mean, I look back to our years in youth ministry and I think that it's, uh, it's, it saddens my heart to see that um, there used to be a, a lot of college students who are really passionate about wanting to serve in this way. And I feel like that's fallen out of style. And I know that one of the, um, as, as we're exploring the, the various ways that God's asking us as an organization and as, a, as an apostolate to focus, um, I feel a real conviction to really pick up that charge again. Mm. Um, and 
you know, there's, there's been sort of this, this concept that like, okay, you know, some people are called to youth ministry. Some people are called to college ministry. Some people are called to adult ministry. Mm -hmm. And I think that's nice. Um, but I think all of us are called to youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And, and if we, if we let that hard work fall to somebody else, uh, because it's hard, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's probably, it's, it's the hardest, it's the least rewarding. And I mean, it's, it's the, it's the dirtiest, it's the, it's the most difficult, uh, it's the one that's going to keep you up latest. And that work of, of parenthood, it's the, it's the responsibility of every Christian. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can let that message go unspoken. Man, yep. love that. Yeah. Final thought. I think. Um, my final thought is that if you're a young adult listening to today's podcast, what you need to do is, I think, twofold. First, recognize that Jesus used someone your age to pour out the Holy Spirit upon to found the church. And so in this season, he's looking for young adults like you to pour the Holy Spirit upon. And I'm using those words loosely, obviously, like he wants to raise up the Holy Spirit that's alive in you so that you would do something with your life that could start a movement that could really bring people back to this, this church. And secondly, allow your heart, um, to really come into connection with what, when you were younger would have been beneficial for you to have and hunger to give someone else that. Because if we don't do those two things, I think that we're really missing an opportunity to partner with the grace of God when it's like, okay, God, you want to use me and you don't want to just use me later when I finally have my education and a well-paying salary. You want to use me now. And when I see that like, man, when I was younger, those things, Lord, that I went through and wish I would have had solutions to help me be your solution to those things in this next generation. You'll, you'll never fall if you, mm. if you do those two things. Amen. My final thought is if Jesus did youth and young adult ministry, we should do youth and young adult ministry. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Um, <laughs> I, I love it, guys. I think this has been a really fun conversation. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm excited because I think a paradigm shift can happen with our mentality that Jesus chose the youth to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and be the agents of yeah. the, the first evangelization. And why not use the youth for the new evangelization, the new Pentecost in this new apostolic age. And so you've been listening to Beyond Damascus, a show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite. We've been here with Brad Pieron and Aaron Richards tackling fun, interesting questions in the church. We are excited that you're partnering with us in this podcast. Please share it with others. Let other people join in in this conversation. Like, subscribe, leave comments, and we'll join you next week on Beyond Damascus.